Well, good morning, church. Great to see you. Good morning. Let's do this. All right, get your Bible out. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I think we have two weeks left in the Colossians series, so we're drawing it to a close, kind of meditating our way through this uh, letter uh, this summer, and now we're on some of the really practical pieces that the Apostle Paul often does in his letters uh, to the churches. So get your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you or at least nearby. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you uh, to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. I want to let you know uh, we're starting our fall series soon. I'm really excited about it. I'm not going to announce the title just yet, but uh, man, I'm super, super excited about the coming series. And uh, here's what I want you to be thinking about. One of the things we do in our fall and in our late winter series is we partner up the sermon series with our small groups, and we ask every single one of you to be in a small group, okay? So I really want you to begin thinking about, man, I, it's, maybe it's been a while since you've been in a small group. Maybe you've never been in a small group. I want to challenge you, okay? I really would love to see us up near 100% of attendance in a small group. And we, we've really never, yes, we've never even come close to that number, okay? So, and I've never been able to figure out why, but, but uh, we, we make it easy for you. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a menu of small groups that are available to you. I promise there'll be one that fits your calendar, uh, uh, your spot in life, whatever. If you have children and childcare an issue, we actually help you with that. And I can give you more information. If you want more information, put it on your tear-off, and we'll let you know how we can help you with child care. Don't let that be a hindrance of being in a small group and make an eight-week commitment, all right, to journeying with us in the next series. The way you prepare for your small group is your handout, ready? It's, in, it's already there, all right? You fill out the blanks, you take some notes, uh, and that's a great way. It's really a really simple way to prepare to be a part of your small group, and then we take what's taught and we intersect it with your life, okay? And, and then you have people that care for you. And so this morning, uh, can anybody remind me what the theme of the book is. What's the theme of the book? Anybody? The theme of this letter, above all Christ, right? And, and Christ above all. And, and really, Paul takes, you know, two chapters, over two chapters, talking about Christ being in you and, and you being in Christ. And there's a little bit of mystery in that, to be sure. But, uh, you know, what does that mean? And then the last two weeks, when you're a believer, once you become a Christian, once you're a follower in Christ, you're in Christ, Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart and life, and now you're spiritually equipped, uh, chapter 3, to both put off the old deeds of the flesh, to put off the sinful nature. You're now able to choose to no longer sin because God's Spirit lives inside of you, and you're able to choose for righteousness and holiness. And we looked at that last week with putting on. And so now Paul gets really specific to the putting on. What does it mean to live daily? And last week we looked at verse 17 where Paul essentially says, you get to worship Christ in all that you do, both word and in deed. And now he really speaks to what I think the most of us spend the bulk of our time here on earth doing. Most of us. Not all of us, okay? But most of us. And this morning we're to cover three things. He covers marriage, parenting, and work, right? Marriage, parenting, and work. 
and, and that's kind of what we're going we're gonna to plow through this morning. I don't have enough time. I could give full sermons to each of those, multiple sermons to each of those, okay? But we're going to go through them in one sermon this morning. But, but I want to encourage us with this. If Christ is above all and you're in Christ and Christ the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you now can walk in holiness and righteousness in all three of these areas, okay? And all three of these areas are no longer just kind of the mundane ordinary, even though they are a little bit ordinary, but they are opportunities to worship Christ above all. And Paul gives us that, right? And so, you know, this morning it's going to be practical. And we're going to start with marriage this morning. Did you, did you know that, that just one generation ago, the divorce rate among couples that went to church was, was about one in 500? So if a couple went to a Bible-believing church, that the divorce rate was extremely low. There's, there's some estimates today that say that the divorce rate inside the church is is about 50%. I, I think that's probably a little high based on my own experience, but there's some studies that say that. But, but can, I, can I be honest with you? Like, like I, I really believe that as our marriages go, so goes the culture, right? Like when we look at the cultural problems that we have, uh, and, and there's, you know, I think, and this is where Christians, I think, sometimes get really, really spun up about you know, politics. Like, politics is the answer to culture. No, politics isn't the answer to culture, okay? And we're never going to vote the right person, and it's going to make it all better. When, when, when God was creating and developing society, what did He do? He implemented marriage, right? Adam and Eve, one flesh. And, and I believe that as we see the breakdown of culture, it, it's the direct result of, of the breakdown of the marriage and the home. And so this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want to I encourage you in your marriage, right, to work hard and to fight for it and, and to live it out in holiness and, and righteousness. And, and this morning, we're going to look at a, a, the first two verses, really the first verse is, 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 it's controversial for some reason, right? We, we man, it, 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 it brings all kinds of controversy. If I were to say this verse outside of these walls and even inside of these walls, some of you are going to stir on your seat as we talk about marriage. It's going to feel uncomfortable to you. And if I were to get up here this morning and I were to tell the Matthew 7 story where Jesus says, there's two kinds of people, builders. There's, there's a builder that builds his house on the sand, and there's a builder that builds the house on the rock, right? And, and when the storms of life come, the builder that built the house on the sand, that house collapsed. But the builder that builds his house on the rock, that, that, that house stands, right? And if I were to say that, we'd want it all nod yes. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Today is where the rubber meets the road. Today is where we're like, man, is God's Word really God's Word, and is it reliable? And can I build my house, my life, my, you know, can I worship the Lord in the ordinary and in, in the everyday? And so I want to challenge you. And, and, and so no matter where you are, if you're single, then I want to challenge you to build on this kind. If God ever brings you a mate, build on this kind of marriage and uh, seek to build your marriage on God's Word. And if you're married, then, then look at these principles and build on these principles. And put on the new self. And if it's Christ above all, we worship him in all things, including our marriages. So let's jump in, right? Christ above all in marriage. Colossians chapter 3, 
verse 18. Here's the controversy, ready? Wives, submit to your husbands. This next part is very important, as is fitting in the Lord. In verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, let's talk about the word submission. That's the ugly word, right? That's the word that makes us break out in hives. I see some of you already itching, like, you know, oh, you know, there's the word, right? Okay. Scripture talks about submission all over the place, but it's never a submission of personhood, right? It's a, it's an, it's a submission of function, and God Himself models this for us in the Trinity. The Trinity is a very important concept for us to understand that Jesus Himself, while equal with God the Father, has submitted Himself to the will of the Father. So, so whenever you're listening to a Christian song and it's singing about how Jesus died on the cross and He thought about, about you above all, that's not true. All right, Jesus ultimately was submitting to the will of the Father. Now, it doesn't mean he wasn't thinking about you, but let's not make everything in life about you, okay? He ultimately was submitting to the will of the Father. And it was, it was, it was submission to his will, but it wasn't a separation of his personhood. And the Scriptures tell us that you know, Christ submits to the Father. Hebrews tells us that the church body is to submit to their elders and to their pastors. We're told as Christians that we're to submit to our, gov- our government and authorities above us. And, and as Christians, even to be a Christian, okay, we submit to Christ as our Lord. And so if we're going to build a healthy marriage, right, Paul's very clear. So if it's in a Christ above all in word or deed, and now he gets to really what we probably spend 90% of our life doing, marriage, parenting, and work, right? He says, wow, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And this submission's not inferiority. And by the way, the rest of this passage, Paul uses the word obedience. He tells children to obey their parents and, and you know, bosses, um, workers, essentially, to obey their, their boss. But in this one, it's, it's, a, it's more voluntary. It's a willingness to submit. And what's very, very important here is Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the idea is it's as worship to the Lord, It says, worship to the Lord. Your submission to your husband's spiritual leadership is not because he always deserves it. It's unlikely he always deserves it, right? Go ahead, wives. You can elbow him, all right? It's an opportunity, however, to worship the Lord and give him honor and glory. In fact, there's really, uh, if I was, you know, really this... This message could easily be preached out of Ephesians chapter 5, and in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul does some very, uses very similar language, um, it, the beginning of that passage is actually under the umbrella of submit to one another, right? And so what's the language used around marriage? It's one flesh, right? There's a one, there's a uniqueness to marriage as opposed to any other relationship. And, and so there's a, definitely a mutual submission, a mutual honoring. But as far as functional order goes, women, now listen, I get it. A dude preaching to women, what could go wrong, right? So uh, God has instructed wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. In fact, Galatians 3 talks about how 
at the cross of Christ, there's a unity, right? There's, in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That's the beauty of the cross. But God's design is for wives to humbly submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5 uses the word respect. Husbands, respect your wives. I mean, wives, respect your husbands, and, and husbands, love your wives. And there's a, there's, I'm going to tell you something, ladies. You, you, have a, you have a tremendous power of influence in the life of your husband when you do these things. It's, it's very, very powerful. Um, the, be- the scene that always resonates from me is from the old Spider-Man. I'm a, I'm a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man guy, okay? So I, I know there's a lot of debate, okay? I hate the new one, or I hate it. Homecoming, out. Um, so, but there's a great scene. I think it's in the second Tobey Maguire one where he reveals to, uh, what's the girl's name? Um, Mary Jane, that he's Spider-Man. And he, they're having this mo- romantic moment, and they're kissing, and then the police blotter goes off that there's a crime, and she looks at him, and he can't decide whether he should stay with her or go take care of the crime. She looks at him, and she goes, go get him, tiger. Man, that's inspiring. You know what I'm saying? Look, you men know it's true, right? And, 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 and women, you, I think in the God's design, man, there's a tremendous power that you hold, you know, to encourage your husband. But man, man, Paul says you must love your wife as worship to the Lord. And so, yes, while it's God's design for women to submit to their husbands, let me tell you something. I'm going to go from preaching to meddling, okay? Men, your wives are not asked to submit to something humiliating. Now here's where it really gets to meddling. Ready? This includes the bedroom. This includes the bedroom. One of the scourges that I see on our culture with pornography is that men are filling their heads with something that is unreal, that's degrading, that's humiliating, and then they're anticipating that this is what the marriage bed should look like. Your wife is not called to be an object. And pornography objectifies women. And the church needs to rise up and say, enough with this junk. We need to be saying enough. And by the way, if your mind, whether from the past or currently, is filled with that mess, you need to get help. And Coastal's here to help, by the way. We have a fantastic addictions class that meets on Tuesday night. will help you reshape your thinking and your mind. Because you do, whether even if you're single now, you bring that thought process into marriage, and your wife is not called to submit to something that's humiliating or something that's degrading or something that's unbiblical or something that's violent. Your wife's not called to submit to those things. She's called to submit to a loving man who is the spiritual head of the home. And, you know, I recently heard a friend of mine say, I'm not going to say his name, but he said, you know, too many men are walking around acting like butts and asking their wife to submit to the butt of the home rather than the head of the home. And when he said it, I said, I'm going to borrow it. (laughs) 
No, man, you're to grow to spiritual maturity. And Paul's very clear here. He actually uses the word. He says you're to love your wife without harshness. The word, the word harshness is, is really the idea of not becoming embittered or annoyed. You know, the NFL starts soon. It's easy to grow annoyed, right? At that point. I'm watching the game. <laughs> you know. No, man, we're to, we're to lovingly, in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul uses the idea of we love our wives the way Christ loves his church, not embittered and not annoyed. You know, remember when you were dating? Remember those days and you won your wife over with sweet tenderness and attention to detail. I remember when my wife were dating, you know, it was before the cell phone, and we'd write letters, and man, I couldn't get, wait to get that letter. And we would call, and you young people don't realize this, there used to be a day where you had a phone bill that had a local charge and a long distance charge. Remember that? And you remember, you guys remember when long distance went down to a dollar a minute? A minute, all right? And you know, and I would get my phone bill when we were dating, and it was long distance for a while. I'd get my phone bill, and it was a joy to pay that $150 a month, right? And no problem. Stroke the check. And then somewhere along marriage, you're like, why'd you spend 25 bucks? You know, and like, and it, we forget to love in tenderness and, and in honor and, 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 you know, man, let me just say this, like, Put down the video game, right? Like, that's a big growing trend in our culture, you know, video games. And, and there's nothing that your wife finds less attractive than the back of your head while you're playing a video game, okay? And I'm not saying there's not a spot where you give a little time to video games, but, and that's not investing in your marriage. It's not loving with tenderness, giving attention to, you know? And then all of a sudden your spouse becomes annoying. So, you know, Paul says, wives, we submit to our husbands as unto the Lord, as worship to the Lord. And husbands, we love our wives without harshness, with a tenderness where they get our attention and we get to, we get to watch them and learn from them, decide, you know, see what they're passionate about and try to engage them when, where they're passionate. If Christ is above all, man, He is above all in our marriages. And we honor him in marriage. The second thing Paul brings out is parenting, okay? Our families. So Christ is above all in our families. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, Paul says, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Okay, there's the worship aspect. Children, you have an opportunity to worship the Lord by being obedient to your parents. And fathers, verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Children, obey your parents as an act of worship to the Lord. Now, one of the things I love about this, this word choice here, Paul, Paul, one of the things about the original, uh, the Greek language, which is what most of the New Testament text was written is, it's a, very, it's a much more specific language than, than English. 
And Paul really had a, a, a smorgasbord of words he could have chosen from that would have given us kind of an age delineation when he used the word children. He actually chose one that was rather neutral. It does, it does, you know, it's not like a young child or a teenage child. He just uses the word children, and, and it's rather broad-based. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to define it for you, Okay. And so when I'm giving counsel and someone's trying to figure out, man, do I still have to obey my parents, all right? Here's how you have to know if you're uh, considered a child in this passage and you need to obey your parents, ready? If you are a child and you need to obey your parents, it's defined this way. If you're still using your parents' resources at any level, all right? So let me give you further definition. If your parents are paying for college, health insurance, providing a car, providing a roof, providing a phone, providing internet, providing running water, if in any way you're taking a nickel from your parents, all right, you're still a child. (laughs) There you go. Because being an adult means, of course, with the grace of God, you begin to provide for yourself. You grow up. So this applies to certainly young children, but I think it applies to 18-year-olds and 21-year-olds and 25-year-olds and, God forbid, maybe some 40-year-olds, okay? Like, <laughs> so let me get really practical again, ready? I think, I think there's two areas that I see in our Christian culture where parents are taking their hand off the wheel a little too quickly, all right? Number one, and so parents, I want you to be, be aware of this. It's electronics, all right? This is an incredibly powerful tool, and it's not bad in and of itself. It's, it's got fantastic uses, and it, and it does have some evil uses. And, and, and studies are showing that parents are placing this in the hands of their children younger and younger, I think the age used to be about 11. I think it's much, I think it's single digits now. Like, here you go. And, and you know, if you're handing this to your 8 or 9 or 10-year-old, and, and listen, I'm not telling you what age to. What I am saying is you as a parent have full responsibility for this. And when you hand it to your kid, like, and one of the things I think gets a lot of press, and rightfully so, is cyberbullying, you know, where your kid can be bullied with this thing, and, and you should be attuned to that. And by the way, there's all kinds of resources. I, I, I've told you guys from the pulpit, I make no bones about it. When it comes to this, I am a helicopter parent, and I still am, and I have a young adult. And I've told my young adult, when you tell me who your accountability partner is on this thing to someone else, I'll take myself off. I'm fine with that. But, but until then, I'm on it, right? Because this is a powerful tool. But I'll tell you the other one. I'm gonna, and I've been looking for, I don't know if this is the week to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Uh, I've been looking for the time to it kind of exhort us and challenge us as a, con- as a congregation. Man, there are two apps that are sweeping young people, and your kids are going to ask for it. Probably most of them have it, okay? And, and I just want to caution you, and that's Snapchat and Instagram. When I sit down with young men that are addicted to pornography, and it's a growing trend on young, among young women, and I say, where are you getting it? How are you getting in it? It's those two apps are portals to pornography. And there's no way once you download the app on the phone to monitor it. No way. 
Your kids can look at whatever they want. And I think a lot of parents are not aware of that. They say, oh, my friend's got it. Can I get it? And we hand it to them, man. And, and we have to be really cautious. And you have to be sure that your child is old enough and mature enough. And, you know, at bare minimum, have some conversations. I do, uh, I do random check. I've fought with my kid for a long time before I even gave it to him. And then, you know, I do random checks. Hey, you know a social media check time, and I just pull it up and start looking. And, and parents, we have to be very, very cautious with this. Be, don't hand it off too soon, okay? And make sure you hand it off with appropriate context. That's number one. Number two, the second area I think we get a little too hands-off too quickly, college. Did you know that 70% of kids brought up in a Christian home or going to church at a young age, they walk away from the faith when they go to college, Parents, you have to prepare your kids to go to college. And college is not a right, it's a privilege if you're paying for it. It's a privilege. And I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a high, high percentage. Most colleges are incredibly liberal and incredibly anti-Christian. And they are going to be bombarding your children with anti-Christian principles. They are going to belittle and mock the things of the Scriptures. Okay? And you have to, I'm not saying don't send your kid to college. I'm saying you have to prepare them. One of the things I did with my oldest son is I took him through a couple Lee Strobel books, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, and I talked him through these things. Like, your professors are going to be attacking these very tenets. And I didn't see it as the church's job. It was my job to prepare my child. That's number one. Number two, okay, I now have a young adult at college, and these are, these are his responsibilities. I say, you must go to church, and you must be in a small group. And just because, I think a lot of us go, oh, they're 18, man, they're going to, great. Now, if he wants to go to college, not on my nickel, and he wants to claim to be an adult, that's fine. I'm not funding it. As long as I'm funding it, these are what is required, because you're still a child until you're off the nickel. Yes? Church, we got to hold on to this. And we've got to guide our children through a very, very difficult world, okay? I'm going to skip this next slide. I'm not going to cover First, Second Timothy 3. I've probably spent um, too much time there, okay? So Second Timothy 3 just lists, man, oh, disobedience to children in there with the, some of the things we go, man, those are the big sins, you know, particular sins. And disobedience to parents for children is one of them, okay? So Paul says, man, children, obey your parents as, as worship to the Lord, Secondly, fathers, don't provoke your children. Why? As, as worship to the Lord, okay? The word fathers here, again, Paul chooses a very interesting word. In Hebrews 11, this word is translated actually parents, so it's kind of a more of a neuter term that could, could be used for both mothers and fathers, but I think we would all agree that a fatherless society is one of the scourges of our culture, okay? And so Christian dads, man, what a great opportunity you have to raise a family in the Lord and, and to shepherd your kids through very difficult world. And so Paul here says, don't provoke your children. The idea is not to overly nag. The, the goal of, a, of you as a parent is, one, to point your kids to Christ, and two, to raise them to be adults. I, I, since my kids were two, I kept saying, you're going to be out of here one day. You're going to be, I let them know early on, right? Uh, 
I don't do it as a threat, but I, they do need to know, like, I'm expecting you to grow up and fly the nest, right? And, and, and with everything that I can is to point them to Christ. And so, you know, it, and so to do that, man, as parents, it requires that we walk in wisdom. We talked about last week, you know, how the, Paul says that we will have to learn how to teach and admonish. Teach and admonish. Teaching is a positive bent. Admonishing is, admonishing is a negative bent. And you have to know as a parent, you know, how to do that in wisdom. But, but you know, as a parent, we, you know, there's the challenge to protect but not be overly protective. It's the challenge of not showing favoritism to one child over the other. We see this in, in the Old Testament, right, with Jacob and Joseph, where Joseph, Joseph had the coat of many colors, right? And, and man, he, the brothers despised him for it. We have to be careful. You know, we have to make sure we don't depreciate the worth of our child. We don't want to set unrealistic goals either, right? You know, you know we, we live in this culture where, you know, yes, your kid, I guess, can be anything they want to be, but I would say they can be anything God wants them to be, right? Because God gives different talents and skills, and so, you know, if, you're, if your kid can't hit a baseball, don't put the pressure on them, like, you're going to be a pro baseball player, and probably not, you know, and that's okay. Figure out how God wired them up and, and cheer them on and, and how and God's wiring. Don't set unrealistic goals. Make sure you sh- give appropriate love and affection and, and, and provide, you know, as a parent, it's your job to provide for your child's needs and provide discipline and standards, right? Right? And, and to give feedback, but don't be overly critical. Certainly, there's no place for abuse. And, and most of all, we're to bring up our children in the nurture and the ab- admonition of the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, verse 4, right? Where the Apostle Paul says, Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And let, me, let me just offer you something, parents. I'm going to tell you something. I am... Um, one of the things that it's always confused me in church life is, is when our kids get in that age between probably 11 and 13, and they're transitioning from being children, young children, to being teenagers. And, and at Coastal, I'm just telling you, uh, and this isn't an advocation for drop your kids off and let the church bring your kids up, but I am here to tell you that what we provide in regards to youth group and youth Bible studies has been a godsend to my home. And I've watched my kids be mentored by some really awesome men in this church. And now I'm watching my daughter being mentored by a really awesome Christian girl. And these are men and women in this church that volunteer their time. And they're pouring into my children the same things I'm teaching at home. And I'm, of course, you know, you know when your kids become teenagers, you as a parent know nothing, right? And so to watch other people say the same thing I'm saying, and they're getting like, it's a godsend. And here's what I see a lot of parents do. From somewhere between the age of 11, 13, they, wanted, they drop drop them off at youth group, and their kid comes home, and they go, I don't know anybody. I don't want to go back. And here's what parents do. Okay. And they stop taking them. Or your kid comes home and goes, I ain't getting nothing out of it. Oh, okay. It must be the youth group's fault. And I want to, I want to challenge you parents, don't give in to that garbage because it's garbage. They're, they're 12, 13. They don't know anything about anything. <laughs> okay? Shepherd them. You're, my kids have come home from school and said, I hate math. I don't go, well, let's just not go to math anymore. <laughs> right? But that's what we do in church life. It's a head scratcher to me. And I've watched my kids for six and eight years, and there was many, many times they didn't want to go to church, right? And they had a drug problem. They were drugged to church, right? And <laughs> you're going. 
And now to watch them become older adults and watch some of these volunteers have huge influence in their lives, that's because the church is functioning as it should. Drag your kids in and make them go. And don't back down because it's your job to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, okay? All right, enough on parenting. Here we go. Final thing. Christ is above all at work. Christ is above all at work. Now, I'll run through this quickly. Um, Paul here in this passage is clearly addressing the way a slave and a slave owner are to interact, okay? Now, that's very controversial, and, and, and I'm not going to spend any time on it this morning, okay, about what the Bible has to say about slavery, because uh, I covered this topic at length during our Philemon series. So, if you, some of you all remember that. I see a couple of your heads nodding like, yeah, I remember that. If you don't remember that, I would encourage you. It's on the Coastal app. You should download the Coastal app, okay? And it's actually on there during the Philemon series, and it was actually the second sermon in the series called Church the hope of peace on earth, okay? And so I really spent some time talking about that, and so I'll, let, I'll kind of stand that as a side note. You can cover that there, okay? So here's what Paul says, I, and I'm going to take this passage, I'm going to apply it to the workplace because I think that's the proper application in our current culture, okay? Because of Colossians 3.22, Paul says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so two quick points, right? First of all, employees are to work hard as worship to the Lord. Your work day is an opportunity to worship the Lord. You work hard when the boss wasn't or isn't around. You work hard no matter what the pay is. I hear people say this a lot. If I got paid more, I would work harder. No, you wouldn't. Okay, you always work hard as as unto the Lord. Even if your boss doesn't see, your, Paul's clear, your heavenly Father will see and he will reward. You know, it was fascinating to me as I was writing this sermon, uh, a, a headline in the news was that uh, California, the state of California, had, um, had done an audit of the DMV. Apparently, in California, the DMV takes a while. <laughs> Shocking, I know, right? And so, and so the people wanted an audit, so the state did an audit. And they audited one of the DMVs in California. And one of the, in this particular DMV that they audited, they found that there was a particular employee that for the last three years had slept on the job every single day for three or four hours, costing the state about $40,000 in lost production. And at the time of the writing, her, the person's boss, I don't know if it hurt him, the person's boss had just begun the HR process to have this person removed. Let's just call it what it is. It's stealing. And why there has to be a process to remove a thief is beyond me, okay? And how the state of Virginia, uh, state of California is like, like no, what, what are we doing here? 
Because there's plenty of people that would probably take that job and love it, right? And so we work hard. We don't sleep on the job. We, we work hard, and, and, and Paul's clear here, we work hard as unto the Lord who sees and rewards. So listen, even if your boss doesn't see, even if you never get the pay raise you think you deserve, the, boss, the, the Lord sees and the Lord gives a heavenly reward. And I think there's an admonition to employers here too, right? Employers are to treat their employees fair as worship to the Lord. And so if you own a business, man, what an awesome opportunity. If God is blessing your business financially, you know, what an opportunity to, to be a blessing to those who are helping to make you successful. Of course, we always know that the Lord ultimately makes us successful, but, um, you know, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, right? So, but man, if the Lord's blessing you, what an opportunity to display Christ as a boss and to give fair wage for a fair day's work. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. King finished with this. He said, no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. And that's a great word, right? And if you take the name of Christ upon you, even more so. Do your job with excellence. Here's what I love about this passage you know, above all, Christ, Christ above all. Sometimes that sounds really ordinary. I mean, it sounds really nebulous. What does that mean? Well, this morning, I hope what you see is really what do we spend the bulk of our lives doing? What do you spend probably 80% of your life doing? Parenting, marriage. I know there's some singles here, but once you're married, you spend the bulk of your life in marriage and parenting and working for sure, right? And I think Paul is a lifting these ordinary things and saying, man, when you do it God's way, it's an opportunity to worship the Lord all day, every day. And I don't know if you've ever seen the cross, a cross stitch, right? But the front of a cross stitch, it's like obvious what the picture is. But I think our lives are lived a little more like the back of the cross stitch, right, where there's strings, and you can see something's happening, and there's some kind of picture going on, but man, it's hard to, it's hard to tell what, what's going on on the back side of a cross stitch. And my suspicion is, is that your life and my life is, is one of the threads in this cross stitch that when we get to heaven, God's going to flip the cross stitch around, and he's going to reveal his glory, and you're going to go, oh, that was the part I got to play in, in, in the glory of God. But the backside, man, is, is 65 years or 75 years. And, and if you journey with the Lord for 75 years, you get 27,375 days to worship the Lord in the ordinary. 
And when you, you take your 27,375 days, you worship the Lord day after day in the ordinary, honoring Him in your marriage, in your workplace, in your, in your parenting, and in your schoolwork, and the list goes on and on. You honor the Lord in, your, in, your, in, your, in the ordinary, and then God takes that thread of 27,375 days, and He puts it together, and one day we're going to get an eternity future, and He's going to flip the picture around, and we're going to go, wow, awesome, God, I didn't realize that's the picture you're putting together using my ordinary life. Isn't that great news? And so here's my encouragement, man. In your, mar- in your marriages, I feel like President Bush there. In your marriages, all right. <clears throat> in your marriages and in your family and in your workplace, may the routine daily, day to day, be lived as an act of worship to Christ above all. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for these instructions. I pray for the marriage in this room that's struggling today. God, may each individual die to themselves. Stop trying to win the argument, win the war, God. But rather, as an act of worship to you, would the wife humbly submit to her husband. Not because her husband's somehow worthwhile, but because she's honoring you. May the husband, may the men in this room grow to be godly, godly men that love their wives in tenderness, without harshness, as Christ loved the church. May we grapple with the gravity of spiritual leadership, God. Spiritual leadership in the Scripture is never a small thing. It's a a stewardship that we are called to give an account for. So may the men in this room wrestle with that gravity and love their wives selflessly and go to bed tired every night. Father, for our children, God, what a precious gift you've given us to steward the next generation. And I pray for the parents in this room, single parents, two-parent homes, God, bringing their children up. It's a, it's a battle through the jungle of the influences of the world, God. But I pray that the gospel would be modeled and caught in our homes, God, in our children be raised to godly men and women that deeply impact and influence the culture for generations to come. And God, for our workplaces, I pray for our business owners in this room. God, I pray that that you would just bless their businesses, and in return, God, they could be a blessing to to their employees and to their families and to their local church and local nonprofits, God, that they would just, you would bless them so they could in turn be a blessing. And I pray for the Christian workers in this room, God, that we would go out of here and and we would work hard as unto the Lord, God, and that maybe our unbelieving bosses would take notice, God, and like like Daniel in a foreign land, God, may we be promoted up because the hand of the Lord is with us as as we work hard, God. And may we understand even if nobody notices, God notices, and He promises an eternal reward. And we serve and work heartily each day. 
And Lord, we thank you that even in the ordinary, we get it, you redeem the ordinary. It's no longer ordinary. It is Christ above all in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace. Thank you for that hope, and thank you for that opportunity. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you